Welcome to this week's episode of Paddy Talks Golf, powered by 4Golf Custom, the great team in Clean Castle, Derek, Don, Christine and Jill, building better golfers. Or you're here hopefully to listen to our guest today, not necessarily me. And I'm delighted to have him on for his third episode is Chris Selfridge, European Tour caddy, caddy to the elite, caddies of some of the greatest on tour, Ryan Fox, Tom McGibbon, to name but a couple. But some really good insights. We fielded, we, I fielded the questions on social media at Paddy Talks Golf on Instagram and Twitter. So much of this podcast episode or this YouTube video, whichever is your preference in listening or watching to, is your questions. So thank you all for getting involved. Make sure to follow me on that Instagram or Twitter handle to get involved and make more episodes together. So it's the collective week. So thank you all for getting involved. Some really good questions. Without any further ado, roll it there, Colette. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Joe Bradley told us the production line was finished in Kerry. Where's Joe Bradley? What do you think of that? Chris Selfridge, are you ready to tee it up? Yep, looking forward to it. <laughs> I don't know if that was the 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 intro to the podcast in episode ninety eight. You came on like for the wrapped thing I do at Christmas, and then if anybody wants to know who Chris Selfridge is in the background and getting into caddying and being one of the top elite amateurs in the game in Ireland, that's more around episode forty one. Both sides of the bag. I meant to check what your walk on song was because that's about two. About two years ago, episode 41. But we'll ask you, what's your walk-on song these days? Catch you right in the hop right at the very start. Um, I really don't know. It's a difficult question. Um, <laughs> you can, you well, can... <laughs> I was funny. I was in the gym this morning and uh, I had a playlist on and I sort of got a bit of a pump from this. It's like an old school song. Is it like Kelly Rowland and David Guetta, When Love Takes Over? It's about 20 years old. <laughs> so I, I quite enjoyed that one this morning. Classic. <laughs> Straight from the liked songs playlist. On Chris yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's like 2009 or something like that. So. How long have you been caddying on tour now between the different tours? Five years. Five years. Five years. And uh, names are coming. I can't remember the guy you're caddying for at the moment uh, at the Irish Open. Yeah, I was caddying at the Irish Open. I was caddying for a Dutch fella called Will Besseling. But I'm, That's not, it. I'm not with him anymore. That's all. So we've. we've some of the some people might recognize some of these names. Uh, Ryan Fox, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Michael Hoy, Will Bessling. He was. I remember he's been like super long. And Mr. Tom McGibbon helping him promote from, from Challenge Tour to DP World Tour. Mm-hmm. So I threw this out onto the socials, right? Not that there's so many people following me, but they help they help frame this conversation hopefully nicely. So I'll I'll name out who the question came for from, and sure we might we might start now conversation right. around it. How's that? Yeah, huh? sounds good. So straight from straight from the back of the tour truck with Keir Selfridge, that might be the the, <laughs> the thumbnail on this one. Um, where are we? Questions from the listeners. I'm being a tour caddy. We've Lee underscore Cody. What is the best way to get into it? There's a fella looking for a J1, I'd say. I mean, that's a difficult question. We could probably <laughs> run a whole podcast on that question. But um, the best way to get into it is to obviously know people in the industry, sort of have a connection. Whenever I started, obviously, I'd played myself for four years and 
one of my good friends at the time, Michael Hoey, had just got some tour status and he asked me would I consider it. And I was sort of not knowing you know, where my life was going after I was stopping playing, really. So the easiest way to get into it is you, you sort of need an in. Like you need to know someone who's playing Challenge Tour and then you have to sort of be given an opportunity and then you have to start on lower wages and build your way up and build your own reputation. But, I mean, it's just easier if you already know someone, isn't it? How often do you get that question? How do I get into caddying? How can I be a yeah, caddy? Do you get that a lot? Quite often. You get, you get, you know, if whenever I'm off in the summers or whatever, even in the winter, and there's a few lads you know, around the pub, maybe play off like four or six handicap or something, and they're like, oh, I want to be a caddy. How do you get into it? And it's like, mate, I don't want to talk about this right now. <laughs> just, just because uh, I was going around the Irish Open with a camera and a bag substantially lighter than a tour bag, right? Yeah. I caught you. I caught you on my side of the lens. The point being, I think it's the most steps I've ever cut. It's the most steps in a week this year, right? And the phone doesn't pick up all of them. I don't tell it to, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, uh, have you, do you wear a whoop or do you wear a Fitbit or anything like that? Have you I any do, idea yeah. the, amount of, the amount of steps yeah. that you cover in a given week, in a week on tour? Yeah, well, I wear a whoop. It doesn't actually get you your steps, of course, but um, no, no, it's, uh, gets, anyone on, on the YouTube will, will get those in. Uh, very good. Um, no, it doesn't. Obviously, a whoop doesn't pick up your steps, but like your strain can be quite high. But caddying, honestly, you know, p- people talk about, you know, is it tough and all? And the physical part of the job is not that difficult. It really isn't. There's about two or three weeks a year where it does get very difficult. Um, Crans. Yeah, well, actually, Crans, it wasn't that hot, but where I'm going to next, for example, South African Open in a couple of weeks' time, is a place called Blair Affle. I remember last year it was very tough because it's such a long walk. It's a very, very, very long golf course. Um, and then, the, you know, it was obviously it was hot, and I think there's, I think there's a bit... It's quite hilly in places. I wouldn't say it's a hilly course, but there's definitely like four or five real hilly holes on it. So like all things considered, that's probably one of the toughest weeks. But your average week on tour is physically it's not it's nowhere near as hard as people think. What's have you got your phone there? What's your do you know what your average strain is? Oh, on whoop. Um, I don't yeah. have my phone. I left it in the kitchen because I was scared. That, of that's it. okay. <laughs> no, my 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 goal last year was to have a double digit strain. That'll tell you the due to COVID. Oh yeah. Having kids, yeah. so I got to nine point nine last year. So well, that's I'm tracking this as an average daily strain. Yeah, not not much. Yeah, uh, working from that. home and, and all that stuff. Yeah. but I'm at eleven point one this year. So that's good. Not doing anything to do, but so I'd love to know what yours is. You might you might send it on to me afterwards. Yeah, well, it's, it's in the kitchen, as I say. But um, I know that I some guess day, fourteen. <laughs> yeah, it probably would be. Some days your strain would hit up to you know above eighteen, but then some days it's maybe 11.5 or something you know it's not too bad yeah. but i do notice in a week off you know if i have a week off and i have a particularly lazy day and your strain's like you know a 5.2 or something and you're like geez that's allowed that's did allowed. absolutely nothing <laughs> that's, that's good, allowed though. um side so like it's not sponsored by hoop renton should be you know <laughs> mon willamette go on get 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 in line but um people ask me why do i use it because I'm not an athlete. I'm a dad. I'm trying to get my leg off. I wear it because it, it helps me. So an example being club championships at home, right? Mm-hmm. First time playing off the blues. You've played off the tips many times on the hinge in your amateur career in Ireland. But this was like Mecca for me. 
for the last like two years just to play up the tips in the club championship. And it was a beautiful day, like it is today. I think it's the same up near Mayola today. Crisp. It was about 14 degrees. Uh, no wind, benign. And I came off the course and it was as if there was a rain shower. Like I was just the sweatiest man in the country. The strain gauge was like 19.8. The new update on the app was like your stress range. And I was between 2.5 and 3 for about five hours. Now I shot four of a pair, so it was grand, but it was just. Me, like, Sean, it wasn't just me, like, it was a good round of golf, but it was like, I was highly stressed. <laughs> um, but the next day, it was over two two rounds. Um, it was a non-entity then, and my strain was down around 13. It was just kind of, so me just knowing, like, it was going to be stressful, I spent the morning kind of just breathing before I went out. So, for people that wonder, oh, geez, why does Paddy wear a hoop? It's for those reasons. <laughs> it's for those reasons. Just remember how, it's, remember how to breathe sometimes. And yeah, this might this question this question might be might be about caddying, but I would love to get your opinion on it as a player and maybe an instance of it that might have happened this year for one of your your, your colleagues in the fair it was Vinnie Lanigan and I played football with Vinnie and our kids used to go to the same uh, childminder. When will anyone get a free drop out of an old divot in a fairway? Now that's beyond our control. <laughs> I mean, I t- they, you probably should. Like, if they could come up with some sort of rule like this should, you know, you should get relief from dropping in a fairway. Um, I think that's why we play placing so often on tour as well, because it does make it a bit more fair, doesn't it? You hit the fairway, you get to lift, clean and place your ball. You hit it in the rough, you just deal with it. But the problem with, like, when we don't play placing, it's probably like half and half, you know, between preferred lies and non-preferred lies in the fairway. Um, how do you define an old divot? You know what I mean? There is a line when it's 80% recovered. Is that a divot? Is it 90% recovered? Is that a divot? Is it 99%? And all of a sudden you need to have like a rules official with you all the time and then pace of play just becomes a nightmare. So you just, you're never, there's not a defined line, you know? So Let's just say it's defined and it's that 20% of the ball has to be below this, whatever, right? Let's just say it's defined mm. um, and that fixes that itself. Um, my question around that is, this year, did any of you, did the boys or girls you were carrying the bag for this year end up in a divot? And what's the, what was the best or worst reaction? And how do you, how do you play that shot? Actually, I can't recall being in a divot any time re- uh, recently, but uh, I'm sure it's happened. It, I suppose it depends. It depends on the shot. I mean, a lot of the time whenever you play like Bermuda or something or in Spain, you can't put divots back. So they end up becoming like sandy overnight or they, sometimes they put green sand in them because it looks better. It's just, I mean, I suppose you back in the stance, kind of get ball first, kind of lower your expectations. Let's say you have a nine iron into the green or something and it's like a green light opportunity. It's just more like getting a strike on it. You know, let's try and get it to 20 or 30 foot and just make a par and move on. Kind of, you have to lower your expectations a little bit, but I can't remember actually being in a divot party, which is a good thing. So. Good. good news. <laughs> Do you allow for any yardage at all? I'd always like go up, up a club and down the grip if you get me. Uh, I don't well, know if that's the right approach at all. It would be it would be a feel thing for the player, but especially if you have a front pin or if it's into the wind, for example, out of out of the divot, especially if it's a sandy divot or if it's even maybe just an old divot. I mean, getting a strike on it's difficult, so the ball's not going to go as far. So if you're into the wind or you have a front pin, you're definitely thinking rather than just a couple past it, you're probably more like seven or eight past it, just in case it comes out a little bit soft and then it'll hopefully still be in the green and 
you know, but it's it's a fee thing, really. It depends how bad the diff it is. Some of them are pretty awful, like, you know. If it's one of John Green's, it might be severe. You might need a scaffold to get down it. He's asked the next question, the lantern. <laughs> Some player Chris is, what's the most number of clubs Chris has broken in a round? <laughs> I think the he's using inside information. Uh, one, I think. <laughs> I've, I've definitely, I've, I mean, I've broken a club a few times um, many years ago when I was a hard-headed teenager, but I don't think I've ever broken two, but uh, interesting question. <laughs> That's from 2010 or before, maybe he was lined up bes- beside you in the north or something. Yeah. And uh, something didn't go your way. Mark 23 Delaney, and this is, Mikey was a bit of insight into a week in the life. The routine from the first day of competition week, for you anyway, as a caddy on tour. The first day, what do you mean, the routine for the week? The routine for from the first, no, we, we might go into all seven days. But Monday to Wednesday, because there's a question further down from Owl Switcheroo from Owen asking, do you get any practice in on Monday and Tuesday of a tour week? So maybe describe Monday. So, you know, you just rock up on a Thursday morning and carry on. So Monday to Thursday, what happens? Well, it depends whenever you arrive. So, for example, when I head down to South Africa next month, I'm going to get in Sunday afternoon and on Monday it'll become a practice day because we've had a couple of weeks off. Um, if you're traveling tournament to tournament, sometimes you don't arrive until Monday lunchtime or maybe even Monday night, depending on flight schedules. So Monday can be a bit of a first practice day slash bonus day slash you might have an early flight that morning, get in lunchtime, do a couple of hours, blah, blah, blah. I try to treat Monday as a bonus, really. Um, typical practice day Tuesday you'll do usually 18 holes sometimes nine if you're able if you're fortunate enough to do nine on Monday you'll do some work in the range you'll do your putting drills your short game drills at coaches and equipment manufacturers there you know they're that's their busy days they're always testing stuff and fucking about different lies and you know they might be changing bounce some wedges and maybe trying to putter with an extra degree aloft maybe changing a two iron five wood no all that shit so You'll be doing a lot of that sort of on Tuesday, um, which is for a caddy can be quite boring. Um, but apart from that, you know, you're doing most of your work on the course. You've you've your course prepped um, and then you'll do your normal stuff that you go through. And then Wednesday will typically be you might be in the pro-am. You might have to do nine holes in the pro-am, which, again, is just like a bonus getting out in the golf course, seeing it again. Or you'll do another nine holes practice maybe in the morning um, before the pro-am starts again, getting all your prep done on the course through lines, distances. And then the afternoon again, you might they might be finishing up some equipment work with their whatever manufacturers or coaches generally would be leaving on a Wednesday night or I suppose some of them will stay to Thursday or Friday, but it, it changes week to week, doesn't it? Um, and you'll just have all your prep done for the course. You'll be going through your yardages on Trackman or GC Quad on the range. You'll be altitude, all those things. And then obviously you'll be very accustomed to what the wind's going to do. And then the pin positions come out on Wednesday night for the first day. And then you'll start thinking about, okay, right, the wind's forecast out of the southwest tomorrow. And, okay, that tee shot, that tee shot, that tee shot. Oh, that tee shot's going to be straight into the wind. Okay, they might use an up tee there because they're using a back pin. Okay, right, so that's probably going to be an up tee. So that cover in the right bunker is 290. It's going to be into the wind. They'll probably push the tee up, so that might be coverable. And you're thinking about your lines and stuff and sort of getting in tournament mode at that stage. But you've done all your prep, so. Yeah, good. So it's not, you're not there, um no you're seven not irons down the range you're, you're no you're not out shelling balls and playing you never get a chance to play um 
usually, you know, I've always found that, you know, you'd, you'd be setting up the putting drills for your player. You know, so let's say you you do your practice, you're, you do nine holes in the morning or something, and then you, you have a bit of lunch, and then you're doing for an afternoon practice session. And you, say you're meeting him at the putting green at one o'clock or something. Usually he'll pitch up about ten past one. So you'll be there from about 10 to 1. So, you know, you end up being there ridiculously long because he'll be late, you'll be early. And then you set up his putting drills and you end up always hitting a few putts, you know, trying to get a straight putt on the chalk line or if you're putting down a mirror for start line work, you know, the best way to find out, to find a straight putt is to hit the straight putt. So you do end up practicing your putting, you know, and messing about, especially on a Monday or Tuesday for five or 10 minutes. So that's so about the highlight Chris of the <laughs> Beware Chris Efforts' short game when he's home, is what you're basically mm. saying. Six-foot six straight putts would be my specialty. So. <laughs> At Brack Fact, um, seems to be from Cork, by his profile. Best advice you can give to a mid-handicap to go low? That might Impossible. be so when you when you see, am- <laughs> when you see amateurs maybe on a Wednesday. Yes. Is there any tips or advice you give or maybe that the pros give them? Uh, well, I mean, general advice from pro-ams, I suppose, would be if the lad you're playing with, and sometimes you do play with some decent players, but you know most of the time they're going to be mid handicappers, aren't they? Sort of some, anywhere between twelve and twenty. Um, whatever club they're hitting, tick one more. You know, you rarely see someone over the back. Yes, occasionally someone might have ninety yards and they might fin something forty yards over the green or something. But like if they're hitting the middle of the face, I would say without trying to exaggerate, eighty to ninety percent of shots come up short of the pin. I'm not saying short of the green, but it's amazing, you know, you get to a par three sometimes and they do these closest to the pin challenges and pro-ams and stuff. And, you know, let's say there's some prize on offer and whatever. And the lads you're playing with has got like a seven iron out and you're thinking to yourself, mate, there's absolutely no chance. Just hit your six. If you hit it really well, it might get there, you know? Yeah, like on my yardage chart, it's in the, on my yardage book, I have like the averages in bold mm-hmm. and then like the the min and the max, so like the spread of 10 shots. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. minimum my 7 iron is like 154. The yeah. average is 164. And when I when I really put the power move on or I thin it, it might be 171. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's my chart. So it's like, okay. Yeah, but at least, I mean, you're you're a good player, right? But at least Easy you're now. sensible enough to do that. What do you, what do you play off now? What, six or seven or three? Three, three. So. Three, right? Well, oh, we made a move like, this year, yeah. We made a move since like, we last spoke, Chris. I feel like so. I've offended you there since six or seven. But. <laughs> no, absolutely. It just means I'm giving up, I'm giving up out the right expectations that I need more yeah, shots. That's good. That's good. Fair play. Uh, chat sound. Connor, yeah. uh, CME underscore 11 asks, what's your favourite hole at Moyola? Favourite hole at Moyola? Well, sorry, what was the name again? Connor who? This must be someone I, I don't know. have a surname. CME underscore 11 on Twitter. You can go see Connor out. Connor, I mean, it's obviously someone called Connor, isn't it? Um, I think the first hole is a great hole. Um, it's the dead straight, lovely tee shot from the back tees. Like in the summertime, it's quite, you know, it's picturesque. It's uh, I, I've always liked it, and even like through the years, I've always liked sort of going to the back tee and hitting two or three balls down there, and you know, like but it visually, it's quite intimidating, but it's also quite nice. It's just a really good hole. So yeah, we'll go with that. Off of the bang. Al Switcheru, um, who asked around the practice Monday Tuesdays, has a question around, and this one that I've been interested in knowing. Has the rule change in allowing range finders, has that sped up or slowed down play? Well, I've never actually 
being able to use a rangefinder. Can you use them in the USPGA or something? Is it? I think I think I think they're allowed in, but they can't have the slope. I don't I don't know if they're allowed in tournament play. But right. I did well, see some allowed, some lads shoot them to, down. You're allowed to use them in practice. I think you can can you use them in live. Maybe you can. Oh, but, you can do anything over there. Yeah, well, that's true. That's <laughs> where we all want to end up eventually, I think. But um, so, right, you know, again, this is the sort of question you get asked sometimes in the bar, and I'll try not to be too boring with this answer, right? But let you know if we if we picture ourselves in a hole right now that we all know, right? So let's call it the 18th at Lynch, right? Gravy, and you've got 160 yards or something, right? So, yep. and we can laser it and it's going to tell you, right, you have 160 yards. Okay. So that's, you know, that's super. So essentially that could speed up getting the number. If someone I'm caddying for, we can just laser the pin. However, we'll have the pin positions and we'll know, right, that pin is, let's call it 12 on and five from the right. So you can't laser the front of the green. So I'm going to have to refer to the book anyway. And I'm therefore going to know if it's 160, it's 148 to the front. And let's say there's a little ridge or something that you want to cover that's a little bit of a false front. Okay, that's 154. So I'm going to have to reference all this stuff in my book anyway. And, and let's say that green slopes from, okay, I can't remember, does it slope from right to left or what? Right to, right to left, yeah, you have it, Again, right? I'm going, to have to, I'm going to have to look at my book for this. I'm also going to have to look at my book for like, okay, what, where, what's our optimal target here? Let's assume there's no wind, which doesn't happen that often, as you know, at Lynch, but... Let's assume there is. Well, we're going to know, right, okay, 160, whatever. It can't be short. Let's say there's a little false front there. Okay, 155 is the minimum, right? We're thinking somewhere around maybe 163 here. And maybe one or two left of it, depending on what right's like. Does it kick in from the right? I think it might do. There's but, a big mounting on the right, but you don't want to be left of the green because that's like the yeah, value well, of sin. Whatever. Yeah. We're only using this as an example. So, you know, I've, I've had to refer to my book so many times there anyway. So, now don't get me wrong, getting the actual yardage 160 laser done in a practice round or something whenever you're just kind of you're not that concerned about strategy you're just getting used to the course you can speed things up a little bit but i don't think it's going to speed tournament play up because everything i've just said there well that's going to be part of your process and the laser is completely useless for most of that other than the actual raw number now it might stop you fucking up and getting the number wrong for example 148 front plus 12 and you've added that up to 150 when it should be 160 you know mm. what I mean? Like a mental error like that. It could help you in that sense, but actually speeding play up, I don't think so. Yeah, because even the yardage book, especially on tour, is so comprehensive that all bases are covered. So a rangefinder is just, it would be one more thing to do. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of an affirmation of one variable. Um, mm. But yeah, Jens Vagland, who is the best caddy ever? Aside from your good self, the best caddy ever. Um, geez, I mean, great question. I mean, Stevie Williams, probably. I mean, his reputation speaks for it all. Then I've been fortunate enough to get to meet him and sort of chat to him for fifteen or twenty minutes a few years ago. Um, lovely fella, very good caddy, works hard. I mean, that's a hard question, so I'll just go with that, will I? <laughs> Do. <laughs> uh, in terms of up close and personal, I was at the JP McManus. I carried it in that for, for one of the M's. It raised oh, 140 million. It raised 140 million. Jesus. It came out yesterday. Um, and we got, we got put with, um, with Bryson on day two. And his caddy at the time, was, his change since, I think, was Brian. 
I can't remember his surname, but my God, the level of arithmetic mm. <laughs> he had to deal with was yeah. was stocious. You know, yeah, well, we didn't quite right. get into air density in a dare, but mm. we got Bryson would be insane, like you know, seeing the the, the things that our man does. You know, it's. Wouldn't be for everyone, but yeah, I suppose it seems to work for him all right, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, whatever about the arithmetic, I was, you're like Brian, I think his name was Brian. Like, I was, I was, whatever, carrying a, a stand bag. And of course, an American had every, every time Dick and Harry been accessory in it. Maybe that's why I was slow. But, but Bryson's caddy was at all times was like a hundred yards ahead of the whole group down the fairway with the notebook out, mm -hmm. jotting down all the different yards and everything, which I thought was, Insane, especially when it's kind of like a, a social game for them yeah, compared to compared where they were going game. the week after. Yeah, yeah. But the Open was next, wasn't it? But, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that really struck me as the level of mm. intensity, I suppose, that some that some caddies um, and he enjoyed it. He was having a great day, you know. So just just a day at work. Um, Matt PGA Burn. I'm assuming he's a PGA professional. Um, how do you give a yardage when? Now he said when the ball is wet, so maybe when it is wet. How do you give a yardage when the ball is wet is the question, but so you know for that. Ball, what do you mean the ball's wet? So you're talking what like morning dew or something? We'll go with that. we'll go with morning dew and Moyola. Will we do that on the first approach? Well shot. I've never I've never carried a Moyola, but I'll <laughs> I'll visually um visually sort of try and explain it. So the ball you know, with the morning dew it'll go a little bit shorter. So it tends to come out well, I think the friction in the face, it brings a spin down, but it also brings the ball speed down. I think that's the technical term to it. I've, li I've listened to this in details before. The guy, Marty Jerkson in America, who does ballnamic stuff. So he's, I mean, he's ping, isn't he, Marty? Yeah, he's very, yeah. very good. Like, and he's done podcasts and stuff. So well, let's, let's just go with that. I, I know it goes a little bit shorter. Um, the spin goes down. It just depends what sort of club you're hitting because... You know, talking about it going shorter and the spin goes down, but if you were hitting, like, say, a full 56 into the green or something, the green's obviously going to be wet, so you need to be aware of it spinning back too much as well. So it will change, but if you've got your 7-iron in the morning, let's say you hit your 7-iron, how far do you hit it, Paddy? 170? The, av the average, the average, yeah, 171. Right, we'll go with 171 then, right? So, you know, you're probably looking at, depending on how much dew there is, and there's also temperature as well, because in the morning time, it's typically a little bit cooler. Um say five degrees cooler so five degrees you would be in for obviously no altitude in northern ireland but you'd be in for five yards shorter there um so like you know say you say you had one say you had 160 pin and it was like 180 to the back just go ahead and hit your seven iron you know because it's never going to go more than four or five past you know so just just hit it and we'll see you know there's no point hitting an eight <laughs> And the minimum on that is like 161, so I'm still carrying the yes. front edge to scrape yeah, on. There you so go. We're, yeah. we're okay. <laughs> um, we've done that. Dave Turrell, Dave T. Wexford, how many beers do you have each night? Not just each overnight. Night. Each, each night. So this well, might be from Caddy Culture in the 70s, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, 15 a night, probably, something like that. <laughs> um, God bless late two times, is I. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be the world's biggest drinker, like, so none, unfortunately. I hate to be very boring, but I'm going to go with none. <laughs> that's okay. Um, it's been a while for myself as well. Um, <laughs> that's happens when you have kids and, and stuff. Um, 
So you can't be having 15 beers a night and you're doing 25,000 steps and arithmetic the day after. Um, sure. Like drinking on the leaving cert. Um, Enda underscore Nagel, if you got a better bag, would you leave your player? Well, depends. And again, good question. It depends on the bond with the player, how long you've been with them. Um, let's say, you know, you're working for someone sort of middle of the road um, and you get an offer to go work for someone much better. Yes, of course. You know, I've done I've done it before. I've left the player to go work for another player. Um, but it would need to be a substantial improvement, essentially, in status tour. Like, you know, let's say I was working for someone on DP World Tour, whatever, middle of the road, and someone from Live got in touch to offer you the job. Oh, yeah, of course you're going to go, you know? That is Colin the Chef's question. Would you rather be on the Live Tour? <laughs> uh yeah, I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, there's. It's it's funny, yeah, yeah. You want to be in live because that's where the money is. But like, you want to be in the majors as well. So like, if you were in live, if you're with someone who's in the majors, you know, and I, I you know, I've I've never won a tournament as a caddy. So like, I I really want to win a tournament. So if you said to me now, like, you can go work and live and do that for three years, and you're going to make you know a couple of hundred grand a year. Or you could maybe keep doing what you're doing and, and you know, get lucky and maybe win a couple of times on DP World Tour or say say once a year for three years. But at the end of those three years, you're going to have made a little bit less money. I, I would definitely go for that one, winning and making a bit less money. But we all have a certain amount we want to make, you know, and there's like a minimum threshold. But once you go above that, you just want to win tournaments, don't you? 100%. I, th- I think it's funny that, not funny, but people have this completely different association association or disassociation with live because of like where the money is coming from but look at it in terms of moving from a job to a job and it's mm-hmm. like well do you want to work it's like i take the <laughs> the dustin johnson analogy it's like mm-hmm. you you work less for more money who wouldn't take that yeah. <laughs> right so so do you know what i mean but um like anybody listening if somebody at your at, at the firm or the shop or the business across the road said you can do three days a week for more money would you say no right that's my question to anybody listening yeah um and it's funny like caddy's moved over and back I, there's no word or knowledge of that like I, I, it's more so on the players which is also wrong i think it's more about who like yeah. the tour yeah, should be called into question yeah, there's been no no like media and stuff about caddies not that i mean they're not that there really should be to be honest but like it's, I suppose it's the player's decision, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I can't imagine, again, I'm throwing out a bit of a rash statement here, but I can't imagine a caddy working for a player and the player sort of being asking the caddy, well, what do you think? I've got this offer to go to live here for 10 million a year. And I don't know, I, you know, I really want to play in the, you know, KLM Open or whatever and all that stuff. And it's like, well, I can't imagine the caddy turning around and saying, yeah, I think you should just keep doing what you're doing and keep playing, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like yeah. you're guaranteed well you're not guaranteed anything but you're looking likely that everyone involved player coach caddy management company everyone's going to probably triple or quadruple their income aren't they yearly so like i mean it's a it's an easy one really isn't it? it is an easy one um not that it's a trend over the last couple of years but like it's it's not any different to what would have happened in years and decades gone by is players having their one of their best friends caddy for them 
It's like mm-hmm. Rory and Harry. So like like Harry won the North. He's won numerous championships. So like people tend to forget that, but especially people who don't know Irish golf don't even know this. Oh, Rory's mate is carrying his bag. Um, like Shane carries for John Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I'm sure there's more. Um, like Dustin Johnson's brother carries for him. So my question is like John mentioned that he finds his preparation is better when like he was for the first year, he was staying there and bees with Shane and whatever else in the, like, I think they were in Harlan since they were 10, but now it's much more kind of not business-like, but like Shane is with the caddies most weeks and John is either with players or, or on his own or, or whatever. What's your preference? Or do you like set out when you're with a player? Yeah. I'll see you on the practice green on Monday rather than where, where are we staying together? You know, yeah, how do you approach well, things and set expectations that way? I haven't, I mean, I haven't really stayed with a player much. Um, my first year caddy and I stayed with Michael Hoey because he was my mate. That was my in, you know, I caddied that season, 20-something tournaments. That was my in. And that was great. We stayed together most weeks in an Airbnb. Um, and he's a close friend of mine, so that was different. Obviously, my next full-time job was Ryan Fox for the next two years. And we never stayed together on the couple of rare occasions. We had an apartment, I think. I know I stayed at his apartment in London for Wentworth because it was during COVID. It was during, they were doing all those silly rules where you had to, you know, you couldn't stay here and you could only share with this and blah, blah, blah. But generally it's just been do your own thing. Um, but I think, you know, as whenever you were speaking there, like Shane caddying for, or Harry caddying for uh, Rory, et cetera, et cetera. Like whenever you have your mate in the bag, you have an opportunity there. So, you know, obviously, the first things first is they need to be sort of an expert in the golf industry, or maybe not an expert, but they have to be at least, you know, you got to know what's up, right? You have the opportunity to train your dream caddy to do everything the way you want it done. And then you also have the personal relationship away from golf. So, like, a wee bit of empathy, a wee bit of understanding of what's going on. So, like, you know, why wouldn't you do that? You know, as, as, as long as you've got the right person, obviously, John having Shane, you know, all his life and, Rory having Harry, you know, all his life. You have the opportunity to drip, to train your dream caddy to exactly the way you want it to be. So, you know, that sounds brilliant to me, you know. Now that you put it that way, it makes absolute sense. Do you know what I mean? It's like any managers out there, if you have to hire the next person for the team and you just get like a blank canvas and you can just train them in on the way the processes already work. Or you want yeah. them to work. It's like, this is gold just here. So why wouldn't you? Your dad. Yeah, exactly. I never looked at it that way. Exactly. 100%. Um, point one performance. Yes. Because um, I think that's why you are one of the top listeners podcasts of, of, uh, of history on this podcast is because of what you do off the course or maybe with players. Or I think you're, you're too modest in terms of... Um, what you do for the players around around preparation, high performance, right? So I think we covered it kind of episode ninety eight when you were stuck in Africa. You were in a yeah. hotel room for a month. Remember that? <laughs> well, it wasn't in Africa. So what happened was, it was in Africa, and then it got red listed, and then I had to come back to the UK, and I ended up in a hotel quarantine hotel in London for two or uh, twenty nineteen nights, twenty days. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so good man. <laughs> what a day well, I watched the whole crown series four times yeah, yeah, um, yeah. so I've picked some bits from posts from the Instagram's 21 performance that okay. I'm interested in yeah. right? and one which I never actually thought of doing 
considering where I'm from, it's an it's absolutely sacrilegious stuff, is wind maps, right? And that intrigues me in terms of how do you do them, first of all, and then why would you do them? I'm assuming the why, but how do you do them in the first place? Well, we're very lucky on sort of most of the time we have a wind map provided for us. Um, So would be, oh, I can hear someone at my door there. I'm just going to ignore that. Did you hear that? No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Maybe I shouldn't have mentioned it then. So on tour, we have wind maps provided for us. You know, they'll be in the office. It'll just be like a, what's the word? It could be a screenshot of the course, you know, from above, like Google Earth or something. Um, Or, you know, if you go hunting, sometimes you can get like a scorecard of the course from the pro shop and they might have a wind map on the back of it, which is really good. So, but on occasions you won't have that. And um, maybe whenever I did a few weeks for Tom on the challenge or a season for Tom on the challenge, sure, a lot of the time they didn't have the wind maps. So now to answer your question, why would you do it? So if you imagine the picture of a golf course here, right, you know, from overhead, right, to La Hinch again. Um, and let's say there's a couple of holes that run parallel, like uh, 15. And- here, I'll take this down, right? All right. Have you this got is, it? This will give you a visual. There we go, right? Right. There's okay. all the holes. And anyone listening right. to the podcast, this will be lost in you. And if it makes it, this should be on YouTube anyway. So there's an overhead kind of hole by hole of the hinge, right? It might yeah, look back. Okay. We'll right. So say, you know, it doesn't, let's just say, even if you just picture a couple of holes that run similar together. So like, can't see that map overly well with my uh, connection here, but like, is it, I'm trying to think like the, you know, the, the holes, tw- 12 and thir- or two and three, two is the, was par four for the Irish Open. Par five right, for well, us near If you think, let's just think of like the, the 18th and the somewhere else, like the 16th or something, right? Right. Right. So, you know, let's say you've a wind map drawn out and the wind today is going to be south, southwest, moving more westerly as the day moves on from two o'clock to four o'clock, blah, blah, blah. So you have this done, your weather stuff done, right? And you hit a shot and it should be downwind, but it's downwind from like 430, Okay. Like on the clock mm-hmm. face. So do you know what I mean? 4.30. Yeah. So let's, let's say you've got an 8 iron and the lie is perfect and all is well in the world. And you've hit it well and everything's great. And you know that the wind's at 4.30 and the shot. But then let's say you're playing the 18 full and this wind's exactly the same for this example, right? But you're playing from the left-hand side of the fairway to a right pin. So if you look at your wind map, the wind's not 4.30 anymore. It's actually about 4 o'clock on this wind. So there's less help and slightly more off the right. Does that make any sense to anyone? It does. Yeah. I'm, I'm drawn out the shot. I'm literally drawn out the shot. It's what I'm so, doing, and it makes complete for this sense. Example, yeah. we're, using the, we're using the exact same shot, blah, blah, blah. The wind's the same, and it's consistent, and it hasn't changed direction. Of course, if it was like this, caddying would probably be pretty easy. But if it's gone from 4.30, half off the right, half help, and then all of a sudden you're left-hand side of the fairway to a right pin, and it's the same strength, blah, blah, blah. And you know that your 8-iron that should carry 160, you hit it well, and it carried 168 the last time. Now, because you're sort of hitting more across when there's still some help, you know, that instead of being 8 of help as such, it probably might only be 3 or 5 of help here. So you need to be a wee bit more wary of what's short, especially if it's a front pin, blah, 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 you know? No, that and makes, that can be that very makes That can be very useful for, obviously, when the wind's off the left, off the right, down. But it's more so when it's fluctuating the help or the hurt from sort of half four in the clock face to four o'clock to five o'clock because if you've got a five o'clock wind 
it almost plays the same as straight down. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So there, there might be tw- there might be twenty yards of help in that win for a shot, but once it goes to four thirty to four o'clock, it can still feel down because it's still a downwind shot. But it's more off the right. So if you're hitting that shot, and especially if there's no draw bias to the shot, you know it's actually not going to go that far. You know it's still going to go further than your one sixty number or whatever. But you might be in round one six five. While when the wind's more straight down, you're closer to one seven eight or something. You know. I think it'd be a really good exercise for people to do is just have a printout of their course, Google Maps mm. or wherever. I was just thinking that out there and go, okay, just for my knowledge of tee shots tomorrow, right? Yeah. Because I, I hate it when the wind is into off the left, right? Because right. my miss is obviously high right, okay? Yeah. So that's just going to spin off into next year <laughs> off the planet. So even to know they are the t-shirts I have to face tomorrow or this afternoon mm-hmm. just helps with that whole whoop stress factor coming down, yeah, <laughs> you know? Of course, it makes you feel more prepared. And it's it's, it's useful for anyone, but, you know, like I've done it myself whenever I've played a bit in the past, even just the last four years when I've caddied and played some semi-competitive golf locally. It's all well and good until you stand up, Paddy, and you just, like hit it straight out of the heel and it's completely useless. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's really, this sort of information is better suited to people who hit the middle of the face most of the time. You know? Most of the time. <laughs> and that brings us nicely to, to another post on your, at the point one performance was, um, I think it's on the back of like the membership tag you get and your, your yardage is on one side per club. And on right, the okay. other side was the point one process, which was number one, calculate, strategize, what does a goal, a, goal, a goal or good shot look like? Or what does the goal shot look like? And then full commit, right? Yeah. So I think most of us can gather, calculate wind and pain and yardage and moisture even, um, air density if you're bracing. Strategize. What are you covering there? High, like ball flight, low, high, what? Uh, no, strategize would just be more so, again, I can't see the post you're referring to, but it will be more towards sort of decade numbers and thinking right okay if the pins gotcha. if the pins four from the left and there's a big bunker left of the green on the right side there's plenty of room blah 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 where can i uh, miss okay well wh- where do yeah. i want this ball to p- it's not not so not not necessarily where can i miss don't think that would be the best way to think before the shot but it's yeah. more like you know okay where should i aim here you know like if you think about it, like in this situation, I gave there pins four from the left, whatever you're hitting an eight iron. Okay, right. I'm aiming three or four yards right of this pin. Okay, that's my target, and now that's just where I'm trying to hit it. And like where where the ball's going to be going to go is a complete dispersion. It doesn't mean you're going to hit it three yards yeah. right, but yeah. doing that, you know, will increase your chances of making more birdies and hopefully maybe making a couple less bogeys. You're still going to hit the odd shit shot, but you know, if you think about that example and. If you've got an eight iron in the green, if you get the ball in the hole in three strokes, that's pretty good, right? Especially for, you know, someone, especially if your handicap's six or above, or I suppose anyone above scratch it would be if you've an eight iron in your hand. Um, so you hit it around 150 or something. So, like, every time you make, you're going to make some twos. You're going to hit it close sometimes. You're going to hold some 20-footers. You're going to hold some 30-footers. So what can you really do here to just give yourself as many 20-footers or eight-footers as possible? And so it'd be more strategically what you should do. And then, you know, a prime in question, sort of picked this one up from Carl Morris many years ago, and I've always thought it's a good question to ask yourself. Well, just before you hit a shot, well, what does actually a good shot look like here? You know, it's not, 
and rather than thinking, oh, where can't I miss here and blah, 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 what does an actual good shot look like? And then get the feeling of hitting a good shot and it just sort of maybe goes into your visualisation a little bit. But, you know, what are you actually trying to do here? Not what you're not trying to do. You're not trying to hit it left and you don't want to slice this one right. Or you, you know, you don't, when you're standing over the ball, you're thinking about the lesson you had last week and you're trying to cut your left <laughs> wrist at the backswing. Look, this is golf. There's loads of interference. But just to prime yourself before the shot to think, well, what does a good shot look like? And thinking, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, this that's what it looks like. It, it's just there, you know? Yeah. The next step then is full commit and then record it yes or no. And that's yeah. did I commit this? The next last bullet point was you have 90% plus goal. Can mm-hmm. you explain that concept to me? What what are we calculating there? Yeah, so you're you're recording your commitment to every shot. I've I've I don't think I've ever okay. achieved 90% plus. Um, you know, I, I tried to do this a little bit myself a couple of years ago when I was caddying and whenever I'm playing and especially if you're playing competitively among friends, you know, when you're playing for a few quid or whatever. But it's being really strict with yourself. Like, are you, do you go through the right process? Do you pick, you know, what should be technically the right target? And do you fully commit to the shot? Are you really clear about what you're trying to do? Have you a full clear picture in your mind of what a good shot looks like? And then can you let it go from there? And that doesn't mean that, did you hit a great shot? Okay, we'll give that a tick. You know, you could hit a pretty shit shot, but if you feel like you gave yourself the best opportunity in the pre-shot routine, your strategy and everything, then it's a tick. Makes sense? Makes sense. Makes sense. And be, I, you know, I would always say, be be strict with yourself. You know, when I've done that before for 18 holes, I've come off with like about half and half, you know? Yeah. Because there's so much interference yeah. on the golf course. You know, I've, I've found myself in that before. Like you're playing well and you're four under after six holes or something. Well, it becomes very difficult to do in the seventh because you're thinking to yourself, oh shit, don't hit it there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I've been four under to six. I've been two. Oh yeah. It definitely, it definitely turns into a, yeah, don't it gets harder. this up situation. There's more interference, you know? And then that's again, where you should just prime yourself more along the lines of, okay, what does a good shot look like here, Paddy? Like, what are you actually trying to do? You know? A hundred percent. Block practice. Yes or no. This was around the post you had around a 50-yard shot. I think it was 50 balls, and you were kind of manually mapping the dispersion of those. And oh, you had like, one, I, think it was, I think I know the post you're talking about. I think it was 150. Yeah, yeah. And then you had like four or five takeaways, which I've never done after. Like, mm-hmm. I don't generally do block practice. I would do for wedges kind of a couple times a year. But I never actually write down like the takeaway. So maybe things have changed in how you process things because that might have been from a year or two years ago block practice yes or no well i think that post is from quite a few years ago but it, i think it's from a session i did about eight years ago so it's definitely not today or yesterday but um yeah, i think it serves its purpose yeah i think it serves its purpose and takeaways so last time i did a block session it's sitting around wedges right mm-hmm. uh, 40 60 or 50 80 whatever but I never actually write down the, t- the takers generally. Yeah, most of them are short by five to six yards. And generally, 80, 20, 80% are missing right to the pin. Mm-hmm. With my takers. Is there anything else you'd note aside from direct results on a black practice session? Well, I think that that session you're referring to there, that was actually at the bottom range, I think, at Carton House um, and, you know, many years ago. And I was picking up my own balls and I don't you're probably knowing the post. I don't think there was too much wind, was there? Um, but yeah, I was just trying to figure out, you know, where the general dispersion was and 
what I've learned from block practice now, again, it, it's a mess of information. You can go very technical with your game. It can become a waste of time. You need to be properly focused. It's getting the balance right. But what, what I've found with block practice over the years is, personally, my misses become, you know, misses, not my wife, but my misses become very, <laughs> uh, like, so if you can see the screen, say that, say that your target's here or something and you're hitting the mid-iron. My, my misses, trend, the tend is more like this. The shots that are right are short, and the shots that are left are long. Yeah. And there's generally, like if it's sort of five yards left, it's two or three yards long. You could half it. And if it's five yards right, it's two or three yards short. So if it's 10 yards right, say I've hit like an eight iron, I've hit, it, hit a poor shot to the right, and it's you know 10 yards right, it usually will be about five yards short. And then the same if I've hit like a big dirty pull, eight iron or seven iron or whatever, and it's 10 yards left, it's usually five yards long. So I've learned that like that's my dispersion whenever mm -hmm. I look at a pin position. So say you've got a front right pin, for example, and the pin's like eight on, and you think to yourself, oh, okay, no, it's it's fine. You know, eight, again, eight iron's enough. Well, if I leak it to the right, it will go shorter. And this is assuming you've worked out the wind right and you've hit, you know, there's many, there's many things that can interfere, but that's what I've picked up from it over the years. No, definitely. For me, it's um, getting that information outside. Obviously, we're doing this now where it's outside, but a lot of people are tend to do that indoors on a on a trackman sim. And I mm. I don't get. I have that indoor internal break where if I'm swinging indoors, I'm not swinging as fast. One hundred percent. I'm down like mm. five to ten miles an hour because I played Saturday. I was mincing irons and then I went to the same with my son on Sunday and it was just completely, yeah, I know here I'm just trying not the ball to come back and hit me off the impact pad or whatever, you know. Right, um, okay, interesting. So I would recommend people to get out on a range with their pro with a track man mm -hmm. or, or go with yeah. 30 balls and, and go collect them and map it manually rather than do it indoors on a sim because um, just for dispersion reasons, short or long, yeah. it would be We'll, we'll all end up taking two clubs more than we should <laughs> if we mm -hmm. all did it indoors, in my opinion. Yeah. Last last bit we'll cover, victory logs. And what I think to finish on, talking about victory, what is a victory log for the uneducated like me, and why should we be keeping one? Well, a victory log, I mean, just to remind you of all your wins, you know, um, sort of visual pictures, maybe yourself with trophies, maybe people you look up to with trophies people you know that have achieved things that you want to achieve with trophies and you know it's it's like again dave you know dave allred um no he's he's kind of like a famous guy he was in rugby and golf and he's wrote the pressure principle and i'd imagine some of your listeners will know but he was he's big into like focusing on facts so like he would always get people to do people he works with to write down three facts at the end of the day of things they've done really well just so you're like accumulating little wins and you're reminding yourself and you know of little things you've done well and then it just kind of leads confidence but as well as confidence in that cliche it gives you momentum as well because like every day is not going to be a good day no chance but mm. like you played golf what, what, sorry you said you played on saturday like how'd you saturday play? yeah yeah um played well so if I was to say three wins, and this is something I do with my son, Christopher, who's autism, and it's, and it's about focusing on the experience than more so mm. focusing on the result, right? Because that's one thing 
a lot of people do with juniors in every sport is, oh, did you win? Or what did you shoot? Mm-hmm. That is the wrong question. It, it could be like, what are the th- what? And something I ask Christopher every time I meet him is, what are the three best things from school or, or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. So good, for me, yeah. it would be, uh, I can feel and visually see the results of the stack system. Yeah, I had the ball enough, yeah. in play on holes in parts of the fairways I'd never fucking been before. Yeah, <laughs> off the tee, which is really nice to see. Um, I caught with the wind really consistently in terms of I'd no high rights. Mm-hmm. And the third one would be in terms of I just felt the swing was always in control in terms of I mm-hmm. executed on this move myself and Nyla working on that it was just. I wasn't trying very hard. And maybe that's because I didn't have a scorecard in my back pocket and it was very it yeah. was a casual day at the office, but it was just, I wasn't thinking about swing. I was just yeah. good, good. Was so playing, like, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Again, just having like, you know, obviously great examples. You played well, blah, blah, blah. But, but you know, one, one of your facts that you could have in your victory log, if you want to write it down or think about it, it could even be along the lines of, let's say you did have a card out in the competition. So you're playing competition now. And you're just all over the place, and you're like, you're seven over after you're seven over after nine. You're just Class. having a shite day, right? So your things are awful. It's starting to rain now, and you're thinking to yourself, like, get me out of here. But you sort of reset yourself, and you think to yourself, okay, come on, let's just focus on the back nine here. And you start thinking to yourself, okay, what does a good shot look like here, Paddy? And you play the back nine, and regardless of what your score is, you know, good, bad, ugly, whatever you end up shooting in the end, you think to yourself. I did a really good job there. That was good. You know, if I could just be like that a bit more often, you know, and it, this doesn't matter if you've shot 85 or 72, you know, just thinking to yourself, okay, I got something out of that, you know, rather than, because if you're seven over after nine, you know, if you could easily throw the head up and just, it's a complete waste of time. And then you don't even want to play next week either, you know, because <laughs> you're playing shite, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good. It's something I've heard from Donald Scott as well is, Write a like a brief before you go out. What are you looking mm-hmm. to achieve? What's your main focus on, etc. So, so yeah. yeah, it's um, it's all very good advice. So um, yeah, when's the when's the victory log journals coming out, Chris? When you when you when are you releasing the merch? Uh, I, I, I don't have, I don't have any time for any of that stuff now. Even the the point one, you know, stuff. I know you've asked me some questions there, so. Like I, you know, I only work with sort of three three lads now in in Ireland, and you know, I don't have the capacity to take on anymore. I enjoy it; it's a hobby, it's a side hustle hobby for me, and that's that's all it is, you know. Um, and I do enjoy it, you know, and you know, I'm not taking on anyone else, for example. I'm not doing anything with it. It's just it's just something I enjoy doing. So, like, great work. That, really. No, it's great work. It's definitely insights. I hope you will share more of as the as the months go on because the, yeah. between wind maps and victory and logs it's they're all really good takeaways for those that are looking for that one percent or looking mm-hmm. to maybe get away from i need my wrist to be bowed up here and yeah maybe just yeah. focus on a visualization of the shot you want to hit because the brain generally reacts visually to what you're yeah. to do right well again that question from earlier what does a good shot look like you know you just after saying your brain reacts visually so there you go so remember that when you're thinking of your left wrist and your backswing sometime <laughs> i don't i don't think about wrist positions at all we generally go on very very coarse farmer language golf swing it's like just get your left arse out of the way that's the sweet yeah. thought at the top okay. of the backswing at the moment um, and get it out of the way fast but um 
what's your what's your winter look like? You're off to Africa in a couple of weeks, so when this comes out, you'll yeah. probably be in Africa. So, what's what's yeah, your I'm, plan between now through New Year's? Uh, don't don't really have any sort of big plans. I uh, did a week there for um, after I finished with my my last full time employer, Will Bestling. I did a week for Matty Smith in Soda Grande, just filling in. Um, and he played well. He came second, actually. But um, I'm doing two more weeks for him in Africa before Christmas. Again, just filling in for his full-time man, um, who's a New Zealand friend of mine. Um, South African Open in Leopard Creek. So I'm doing those two weeks for him, and then just sort of see what happens. So I don't have a full-time employer in golf at the moment, but I'll do those two weeks, and then it'll bring me through the new year, and hopefully people get in touch. Simple as that, really. 100%, no doubt. <laughs> You'll be in a bag, absolutely, and looking forward to you, you getting the W th- next season, huh? Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, it would be nice, you know. But we'll see. We'll keep. We'll keep trying anyway. As always, a great chat, Chris. Thanks for your time. Really insightful. Yep, no there's, there's not often I take notes, but I was taking notes today. Um, no slight on anybody else, but when you hear good stuff, you want to write it down. So hopefully, people listening got the same. And we need to play golf. Maybe we might. We might. We might get it in when you're home. After the, yeah. after the Africa trip, I might take I might take a trip up the M1 there. I can't see that happening over the winter, Paddy. But yeah, well, uh, we, that we was the question: it. is 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 uh, is winter golf in Ireland worth it? I think, or I think that was the question. So you might have answered that <laughs> inadvertently there. Yeah. Winter golf. I mean, I think. I mean, I think any golf's worth it. But like, I'm I'm big for playing golf with like your friends and people you want to play with and really enjoying being out there and you know competition as well maybe playing for lunch or a few pints or something you know i love it like so as long as the weather's not absolutely horrific i mean i still love it you know no same as we'll, we'll, we'll take care of it chris thanks a million yeah thanks buddy. chris selfridge everybody really really insightful i'm definitely going to be taking some takeaways myself number one win maps I play golf in Ireland, I play golf in Lane's Golf Club, and I've never made a win map before because I didn't know the value of it. And now I definitely do. There are some notorious tee shots. At the best of times, let alone when the wind is coming from a place I don't expect it to because my first engagement with it is on the course. So win maps, number one for me. And number two, block practice. I think it has its place. And especially for this time of year, we're recording this in November, putting it out in maybe November as well. And definitely something to do. Hopefully I get my hands on a, on a track map um, to help me dial in the dispersion instead of manually pacing it out. But that's it. That's this week's show. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Fork Off Custom for powering it as they do each week. Make sure to book your fitting with Derek. Christmas is coming. Forkoff.ie forward slash booking for your tour level. Tour level experience custom fitting in Clean Castle and get those clubs built and out to you hopefully by Christmas. And they are very good at what they do in terms of turnaround time. That's it. Until we teed up again soon, I'm Paddy. <laughs>